Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back to the Rifles Only Accuracy Podcast. Everything center fire and rim fire and, and scope and all kinds of stuff like that. So if there's uh, any questions that you have for this podcast or any of the people that have been on the podcast, remember you can always reach us at ROAP at RiflesOnly.com. That's the initials for Rifles Only Accuracy Podcast. So make sure that you check in with us. Also check out, I'm going to be putting this podcast up today. So check the Rifles Only website for the Black Friday deals we have coming on. And uh, any schedules, I'd put some more uh, classes in the schedule for here. I haven't done the Colorado yet because I'm waiting on some uh, contract things that I have to sort out and I have to teach at. So I'll get once I have those, I'll have the the Colorado schedule out. And so just take a look at the website for the calendar on there. Uh, first of all, we had a question come in on this one, and it was concerning Criterion barrels. And so. Uh, I wasn't real familiar with them other than that I knew that they shot pretty good. So I reached out to a few of the subject matter experts I know on it. They said that like the AR barrels are flawless. The uh, the uh, bolt gun barrels are flawless, a little bit more expensive, but they have not had any problem with them when they get blanks with their machining them. No big issues. Prefit barrels worked really, really good, um, you know, for savage type guns and all that stuff. People were having a, a wild success with them. So I see that they're probably, you know, another another choice if that's where you if that's where you decide you want to go with your barrels. Um, we'll get into the another question I was going to tackle. But first of all, um, I have a guest with me today, and uh, his name is Nick Laufenberg from Vortex. Say hello, Nick. How's it going? Good, man. Good. Thanks for taking the time to uh, to spend some time with you here on the on the podcast. Uh, you guys have uh, always supported our our events, and um, we we really really appreciate that. And I know y'all are on board again this year. I wanted to get a chance to to visit with you about that first. Obviously, the uh, the huge elephant in the room is the Impact Four Thousand, and so uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got one. I've got one on order because I figure I'm going to be seeing these things. I've been familiar with the Raptor for a long time, and I know it's a similar type unit. But um, at any rate, we 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 will tear that one apart as we get to it. But first off, man, uh, tell me who are you? How old are you? Where do you live? Where do you come from? How'd you end up working for Vortex? Uh, what's your shooting background? Tell me about yourself. Yeah. So, uh, funny enough, I, I mean, I don't, I don't have any, I don't have a cool background. Like a lot of guys that get into this industry, I, um, uh, <clears throat> grew up in Wisconsin and still live in Wisconsin. Obviously that's where Vortex is. I, uh, was born about 12 minutes from headquarters and I didn't make it very far. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, uh, kind of just like most people, I think probably most of your listeners, I got into, um, you know, the outdoors, hunting, shooting, fishing, camping, all that stuff when I was pretty, pretty young and it just kind of progressed over time. My, my interest in long range and precision kind of came accidentally or, or, uh, organically just due to myself wanting to be a more efficient hunter and a more ethical hunter. Mm-hmm. And in that process, it, it kind of was just, okay, well, if I want to be able to take accurate shots up to 300 yards well if i if i'm if i have everything dialed in out to 500 300 should be easy right right and then when I, well maybe i want to go out to 500 okay maybe i should practice more at a thousand and you know and then that just kind of snowballed over time and i became kind of a nerd for it and um after a couple of jobs that i i really didn't care for very much uh there was a position open at vortex in the technical support area and my brother-in-law saw it and he said, Hey man, you'd be silly not to apply for this job. It's perfect for you. So I applied and about three weeks later, I was sitting in a cubicle in Middleton, Wisconsin. Oh, wow. Wow. So tell me about some of these, some of these hunts. Did it work out for you, your plan? Oh yeah. 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 I, I, like I said, I'm kind of a nerd. So, Uh um, that's, that's where most of my accolades kind of come from. It's just lots of studying, lots of trial and error. And yeah. So, in Wisconsin, I think it's kind of known in the Midwest for not really having much area for getting out to distance. And uh, I specifically picked the only spot on our farm where you can shoot past 400 yards. So, mm-hmm. okay. um, yeah, I mean, I've been very successful hunting since I, I don't hunt as much as I'd like to, but, um, you know, the, the shots I do take are always very ethical. Well, very cool. And what are you, what are you basically hunting up there? Like whitetail and stuff like that? Oh yeah, in Wisconsin, it's primarily whitetail. In fact, uh, opening day is in two days. Oh yeah, yeah. We already had our opening day down here, so it's been 
I haven't had a chance to go yet. And it, it just, the weather hasn't cooperated, mm. but I'm really looking forward to getting back out there. I'm also going to go and get uh, a Nell guy here pretty soon. I got that sorted. I don't know if you know what that is or not, but, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. That'd, that'd be a preschool. Huh? Yeah. We, I've, I mean, I've shot a, a lot of them over the years and I, I just, I love that meat. I mean, it is, it is such mm-hmm. a good lean, lean meat. That's good for you and everything else. And I get a Nell guy and I say, Oh yeah, cool. And I got meat for uh, next year. <laughs> and then I start looking around in about six months saying, man, I need to go get another Nell guy. <laughs> that's antelope for me yeah yeah <laughs> I, 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 love, gotcha. I love going out and get a speed goat oh yeah i hear you i hear you yeah i took my my father up to um rio Dosa, new mexico to go hunt pronghorn and uh he he got an excellent mm. shot 700 yards on it and it was good it was a, it was a really good shot nice. I, I won't forget that one because it's kind of high wind and you know kind of nasty conditions <laughs> yeah. and the position wasn't that good and shot and i thought man there's the i'm i'm really iffy you know i'm about 30 30 70 on this one and just boom yeah. and the boy went to sleep so it was nice <laughs> it was really good That's he was awesome. he was looking through the scope so he, if he didn't think he could get it he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have pulled the trigger but <laughs> but he he felt like yeah. pretty confident and and he got it and so that was that was a lot of fun but yeah that's cool and your whitetail up there man what's your what's your dress weight on a whitetail up there you know a good size you know mature buck oh, we yeah i i uh i couldn't even tell you we honestly get our stuff pro- we process ours mm-hmm. really fast mm-hmm. i know that we have a lot of our whitetail are kind of they look like cows walking through the woods yeah uh, we, we yeah. have big animals up here mm-hmm I've always heard of that. You know, I always heard that the, the white tail are really big up there. See, ours, ours down here are, are really big, a really big white tail down here standing on the hoof is 160 pounds. And that one's fat, you oh, know? Yeah. yeah. So y'all, okay. ours are, you know, most of them are, you know, fall in that 130 range. So it's, uh, you know, y'all have, yeah. y'all have massive bodies up there on those. We, we got nice horns. Though. Much bigger. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's really good. That's really good. Well, man, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're doing it. So how, how long, how long did you say you had been there at Vortex? I've been here, it's going to be going on seven years or going on eight. I forget. Okay. So I've been here a little while. All right. Very cool. Very cool. Well, first thing I want to talk about is bubble levels. Um, I had a question come in across there and give me your take on that. And then I'll give you my take and we'll either agree or we'll argue. (laughs) That sounds good to me. (laughs) Uh, So I, I look at bubble levels in a few different ways. Um, So you, you obviously have your, your spirit level. Mm-hmm. your traditional inclinometer that uses either a ceramic or metal ball. Mm-hmm. And then you have the electronics, right? right? Um, spirit levels. I think, I mean, they're definitely the most cost efficient mm-hmm. version. And if you just want to know if your gun is level and you have a way to calibrate your spirit level, I mean, they, they get the job done. And again, they're fairly inexpensive, usually like $60 or less. Um, I do tend to, if I wanted a more simple bubble level, I'd probably spend a little bit extra money and get something like an inclinometer. Mm-hmm. The, um, I think the biggest downside of switching between a spirit level and an inclinometer is the fact that bubble levels or spirit levels, they work on buoyancy. So right. if you tip my gun to the right, my, my spirit level is going to go left, whereas with an inclinometer, it's going to the right. So right. I've, I've seen that mess with people. You mm-hmm. know, They pop back and forth between other rifles on the line. Um, biggest downside of either of them is that they do lose some accuracy when your elevation, your higher angle of fire is changing, mm-hmm. which, you know, shooting past about 600 yards, you know, at, at high angle, it's pretty rare to find those places. I, I, I have had the good fortune to go up to some pretty cool spots where I've been able to shoot over a thousand at over 20 degrees, which is crazy. I mean, it's, um, pretty, pretty hard to find places like that, but, um, you know, in those situations, I think uh, electronic level does help you out a little bit. All right. And well, I noticed I, I just I've got your website pulled up right here and it seems like that you have you have levels in there anywhere from 80 bucks down to 50 bucks. I think so. I, I know I yeah. haven't seen all of them yet that I've been looking on here. But yeah, 50, 55. No, those are we have two. Uh-huh. And, and they're and they're. They're just spirit levels, right. which again, they work. Right. Um, but if you end up spending some money, if you get the other two. Yeah. Well, and then what do you, what do you think about that? I mean, is this, is this pretty utilitarian for you? Is it something that actually works or is it some shit that you put on your rifle? Cause it looks cool. <laughs> uh, I, I use it, I would say sparingly. So okay. in, I would say that a lot of people, uh, would probably look at me a little bit cross-eyed when I say this, but when I mount my scopes, I actually don't even use a bubble level on the action or on the scope. 
I mount it based on a plumb bob when I'm shouldering it comfortably. And mm-hmm. I do that because when I get into a shooting position, whether it be prone or off of a barricade, what have you, I want to, when I comfortably shoulder the rifle, I want it to be as close to level as possible without having to reference anything. Right. And that's more for, you know, speed shooting like you do in like PRS, that kind of quote unquote, uh, tactical precision type of competition stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, did now you, did you just throw some air quotes shot, up there? I did. I did. <laughs> I thought that's what you did. I thought <laughs> you, that's what you did. You I, can I, sense that. I, I could sense it. I couldn't <laughs> see it, but I could like feel it in the ether. <laughs> oh yeah. You definitely felt it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, All right. But that, that type of thing, uh, you know, if I was, if I was doing a prone shot, you know, for very long range, I, if I have a bubble of them, again, I'll reference it, especially if it's set up properly. Right. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a big, that's a big thing, right? Because if you don't have a, a a level reticle, I mean, that's not that's not plumb to gravity, right? You're going to can't left or right, and you're going to miss left or right. So, yeah. why not take on as much air as possible? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, my whole take on the whole thing is, you know, how much is this thing going to help me, and how much is it not? You know, and it's kind of like I'm I'm starting right. to look about. I have I have so many questions whenever someone asks me this question. My first question is, mm-hmm. uh, what is your job? Okay, so if they say, okay, well, I'm a military sniper, I have a very different answer than if they say, oh, I'm a government agency sniper, you know, or, or a law enforcement sniper, mm-hmm. because the ranges are different, you know, I mean, it's kind of the, um, you know, the, the law enforcement sniper here in the United States, uh, some guys out in, in Florida, Derek Bartlett had done a study on it, and the average shot is like 58 yards. So um, turn your gun upside down if you'd like. You know what I mean? It's it's it's, right. it's going to be one of those things. It's a mechanical offset shot. You know, your side of hide over side of bore. Uh, and then when we get in, you know, to the military sniper, it's okay. All right. Well, what's your AO? Because the you know there there's a a lot of military sniper shots that are made inside 500 yards. You know, and it, and there's a lot that are made outside. Mm-hmm. So it's going to make a difference. You know, how far you're going to where it's actually going to make a difference. Um, the, as far as the spirit level or the bubble level, as opposed to the electronic one, um, the, I have, I I get to see a lot of students come through and I had one that recently came through and man, he had, he had some tricked out gear. I mean, it was awesome. He had, (laughs) he had the electronic, the inclinometer, and then he had these little led lights. I mean, it was wired and these led lights were right on the ocular lens. So it was like right there. It was like a green in the middle and then red on either side. And as you moved it, you know, if if that green came on, it told you, well, he was having some difficulty with that. And, you know, just being able to like visualize his target and stuff like that. And so he, during Mm -hmm. one of the breaks, he actually pulled those little LED lights off, off the scope and was just using it on the side of the scope. And he felt more comfortable shooting it that way. You know what I mean? And so he had, he had the inclinometer and he was using it on the left side of the left side of the gun, but he had removed those three LED lights that had been, you know, fashioned right at, at the ocular lens. And he felt like that he could see better that way. And so I, I guess mm. I guess it comes down to a point to where yeah man you, you you know you got this guy come up with a rifle and you know it's got these really cool you know small LED lights ones at at, at nine o'clock and ones at three o'clock and then there's one at six o'clock you know on the ocular lens you know just outside of the uh, outside of the scope cover and then in practical use it wasn't so good it was much better just to have those those lights up there on the side where people normally do um so yeah. I, I thought that was kind of i thought that was kind of interesting it was uh it and, and you know no you know no slap on on any of that but um you know i i do know also like the practicality of using them um a very very good friend of mine uh, d- developed a condition in her eye to where she couldn't tell level anymore and so she had mm. and for years and years not not using them at all and then all of a sudden she's having to use it because her eye got I don't really know exactly how it was, but like Lindy Sisk, who works here with us, he's he's been with me for 20 years. Um, he had the same thing happen to him. And so it's kind of, you know, he, he couldn't really tell what was level. And so it, it he had to kind of retrain himself. And it was just the way the brain was picking up the image that was coming off the eyeball. So I do think they have value. Now, I do not have one on my gun. I, I just don't. And I, I think that I don't have one. I'm not saying, okay, you shouldn't have them. I think whenever you first start out shooting, they're, they're 
probably pretty necessary because, you know, someone, we get people who come through here and the first time they've ever put a rifle to their shoulder is whenever they walk through the door. I mean, they got a really nice rifle over here and a box with a scope in it and then some rings. And it's like, okay, what do I do now? So we start from right. the ground up there and it's kind of good because they don't really have the, the neural pathways built to tell whenever they're canting a rifle or not. You know, and, and I'll see them all the time. I'll say, hey, man, your rifle's leaning a little bit to the right or to the left. And, okay, they'll straighten it out. But those levels kind of help them when they're first learning. And I think as time goes by, as time goes by, what you're going to find is that you get to the point to where you can tell whether or not you're level or not just by the way the rifle feels in your shoulder. And so mm -hmm. my experience, and I, like you, I've got, I've got the Fix-It Sticks kit that has the, the level for the receiver and the level to go on the scope to level all that stuff out. And like if I'm coming through, I have a class. And so they're in here watching a video on fundamentals. I'll go out there and I'll put their levels on all of their guns. My guns, I don't. I, I, put, a, I put it on a table here in the barn. And the tower is like 400 yards from where I have it sitting there. And I just, whenever I'm mounting a scope, I plumb up. I just use a leg of the tower. I mean, it's steel. And as soon as it's straight yeah. on there, then I just tighten it down and move on down the road. Works great. I think, uh, I think I may know the uh, lady you're just, you're <laughs> referencing that developed the eye issue. Yeah. If it's who I'm thinking of, she may have sent me a photo with about three bubble levels on her gun saying, Nick, how many bubble levels is too many? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's, I, I think a lot of her, I really do. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah but I, I think that, you know, that those, those, um, I, I know also on the regular, on the regular uh, spirit levels, you know, that you don't want to go out and get one that's just, cheap you know it's it's you want to get one that's kind of you know a little bit more high end because uh, there's there's different there's different um i guess categories or species of level you know you can go and get a a normal level that i'm using out here because i'm i'm trying to build a table and then another level that's a machinist level and so it's it's built a mm -hmm. little bit more quality and things like that so i i really like the idea of having them i, th I think they're a tool that that is is very useful but here what you know we have the we have the facility in colorado and we go up there, we're, you know, doing angle fire all the time. And it, whenever I first get there, mm -hmm. I have to admit, it takes me a little bit because I don't have that horizon reference, you know, to tell when my gun's level. Right. And so I kind of have to think about it a little bit more. But I don't know. Like I say, it, if, if it's going to be if it's going to be those shots, you know, I'm, I'm Bigfoot's getting ready to come through the door here in my in my classroom. <laughs> OK, I'm not I'm not worried if my gun's sideways. I'm going to go all Oakland, California on him, you know, but <laughs> we'll have to. But I don't think it matters at the closer ranges. Well, I, that one that one is just uh, I just wanted to bring that up to you and, and get that information out there. Um, well, like, it's, I appreciate it's really good. Yeah, I mean, no problem, and, and I think it's a really good point, and I, I believe that you and me probably see very eye to eye on that. Mm -hmm. Like like you, if I have, whether I'm, I'm teaching a class or if I'm just mounting a scope for a customer, I'm probably going to throw some levels on the gun and get it as close in that reference as I can. Um, for me, personally, it's it, a big thing for me is if I shoulder the rifle and it feels uncomfortable to have the scope perfectly level, um, how it's currently set, then I need to probably set up that weapon system a little bit different, maybe rotate the scope so that the rifle itself fits my shooting style and position better. Yeah. yeah. Now that's how I usually do it. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. All right, man. Impact 4000. Where the, yes, hell, did this, where the hell did this thing come from? <laughs> We've been working on that for a long time. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, are, we are a growing company, and we have a lot of engineers working on projects on a constant basis. And those projects are always based on customer feedback. I think, I think uh, something that is a little bit lost on most folks when they're thinking of, Hey, Vortex should come out with this. Mm -hmm. We might start planning that right there, right. but depending on the project, it could take two years. It could take 10 years to yep. get that product from you know, conception all the way up to final here, it's going out the door. Right. And yeah, that one's been in development for some time. Okay. Well, wait, wait, like how long? <laughs> oh, um, I don't know the exact time frame. I think probably somewhere around six years. Okay. All right. Very good. And, and what was the, yeah. what, what did y'all just sit down to begin with and just say, okay, we wanted to do this, 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 and this, and give your wish list to an engineer and say, go do it. Uh, kinda, I, I guess a lot of us in, in house, we have, we're very strong opinionated people mm -hmm. <laughs> and they, uh, 
our engineering team, they put up with us pretty well. So, you know, they'll bring us in and have a meeting and say, hey, this is something that we're thinking about doing. Uh, what do you guys think about this? Tell us like your list of uh, needs and wants and I don't really care about. Mm-hmm. And they'll, you know, they'll kind of get to work drawn on a preliminary, figure out, okay, this is a conceptual design of what this is going to be like. Mm-hmm. All right, come back in for another meeting. What do you guys think of this? If it was this way, would you like it? Would you change anything about this? And then they'll actually start to get to work on putting together prototypes. And that part takes forever, right? Because right? getting an idea across is one thing, but putting together a, a proper prototype that we can test and evaluate, I mean, they'll go through a lot of different iterations of right. that. And something with a like a weapon mounted laser rangefinder, which is a brand new product for Vortex. We've never had that. We've had laser rangefinders, mm-hmm. but nothing that mounts to a firearm. Right. And uh, at least not one that re- doesn't require some, you know, uh, duct tape or something. But, right. Uh, this one. Don't be knocking the um, duct tape, though, man. <laughs> <laughs> it works. I, I still remember your video of you uh, changing barrels with a with a pipe wrench. I think it was. <laughs> hey, man, I did not fantastic. invent that. I didn't invent that, man. A bench rester taught me how to do I, that. I, They've been doing that forever. <laughs> <laughs> it is I, i'll never forget that video it was fantastic anyways it was a lot of fun um, to make <laughs> and i knew i knew it was going to make people just you know freak out so it, it was a lot of fun doing that and oh, yeah. then there's a couple of people that come in and, and they'll they'll post it about once a year just to get the laugh out of it again yeah just to yeah we got to bring it back up anyways yeah. um no it when we got those initial samples and we started going out to the range and trying them out i think we were all kind of just like, wow, this is for, for one, it's, it's one of those projects that you're glad never got killed off. Cause right. I don't know how many times we'll start a project and say, Hey, you know, like there's not enough demand for this or, right. you know, we have other things that are a little bit more important. So we'll you know kill off one project to give more bandwidth to another. And that one, we're all very happy. Never got killed off because everybody at work that shoots loves it. Yeah, man. Well, okay. So I already contacted you about getting one of these in here because I needed to do my own T and E and you're either dragging your feet mm-hmm. or y'all are selling a lot of them. I hope it's the latter. Um, but when this thing shows up, okay, what, yeah. what am I going to do? I'm sitting here and I got a box with this thing in it. What's my first course of action to get this thing functional on my gun? First thing you do is turn the unit on and calibrate it. Okay. So, let's talk about that a little bit. I looked at the video and I know that you're going into calibration mode and then you're rotating the device horizontally, uh, vertically, you're doing it on either side. What is, what is the device doing at that point? So it is, it's, um, essentially for lack of a better term, calibrating its sensors. So it has a few different onboard sensors not in, like if we skip over the atmospheric sensors and stuff like that, you have inclination mm-hmm. and you have um, uh, inboard um, or onboard magnetic compass. Okay. Which uh, we get a, we'll get into some of the features in a little bit. So what are you doing is you're calibrating those two sensors primarily. And the calibration process is actually a little bit longer than a lot of devices that are kind of like it. And mm-hmm. the reason for that is, um, because if you want the onboard compass and inclinometer to work as accurately as it does, and you st- and you want to be able to mount it at either a uh, you know nine or three o'clock or on top of the gun, you have those three options. Right. You the calibration process unfortunately has to be a little bit extended. So right. good thing is is that you don't have to change it very often. You don't have to recalibrate all the time. Okay. Well, I, I know I I heard them make mention on the video that if you are going to be in one location and then you're going to be in another location that you should probably recalibrate whenever you move to another location. And it says that is that just because, you know, we have um, the variations in degrees between true north and, and magnetic north. And as you move, it gets either better or worse. Is, is that what's going on with that? Exactly. Thing? Okay. All right. Very good. Yeah. Anytime you have a magnetic compass and you're, you're change, having a significant change in location. Right. And to be honest, like if I'm staying in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. if I drive somewhere, whatever, I'm not going to care about it. Right. Um, but if I go from Wisconsin to Ohio, I'm probably going to recalibrate when I get to Ohio. Okay. 
All right. Yeah. Okay. I get that. So we're just, we're just doing the same thing that I learned back when I was in, in flight school. You know, we're just, whenever we're looking at a yep. sectional map, you know, I've got to figure out, you know, how far I'm off I am from, you know, true north and magnetic north. So that's what that's about. All right. Very good. And then what, what else is going on with this calibration thing? Is it, is it just for that? Like, so we can get is this, I know that this information gets transferred over to where we're dealing with wind, the wind direction, you know, where it's coming from, things like that. So it can give us a better solution on that. Mm -hmm. But is there anything else? Uh, that, that, not that I know of. As far okay. as I know, it's just inclination and your magnetic compass has to be calibrated. Okay. All right. Very good. So I got this thing. I, I have it and it's calibrated and it says it's calibrated and I'm sitting there and I'm still, I have it in my left hand and I'm at the table getting ready to put it on my Accuracy International. What happens now? All right. We're going to go ahead and mount it. Okay. <laughs> so um, you'll need a diving board mount or if you want to mount it at the 12 o'clock. Okay. Um, if you want to mount it on the side of your rifle, then you'll need a, a, a Picatinny rail either mounted on the side, left or right of the gun. Okay. Um, either way is completely fine. Okay. Um, once you do get it mounted, though, you'll need to align it to your reticle. And well, let's, hang on a second. Let's talk, let's, foremost, let's talk about this diving board mount to begin with. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Y'all mm -hmm. y'all sell these? Um, do yes. other people sell these as well? Because there's some scopes that are 30 millimeters, some are 34, some are 35. Um, where right. do I just need to, I, can I just, is this, is your term diving board mount, is that a vortex term or is that an industry term? I think that's more of an industry term. I okay. think we call it a diving board mount, at least internally. Okay. Um, but I think that it's more of just an industry term. And, and all, all, all it is is just, it's the, it's the front, it's the front scope ring. The normal one comes off and you screw in another one and it has, it has a, um, a Picatinny rail on top. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And so do y'all, do y'all make these in the, the do y'all make these in the different diameters? We have them in 30 and 34. Okay. Okay. All right. Very cool. Carry on then. We're going to mount it. We got it mounted. Perfect. So we got it mounted. Uh, the next thing is aligning it to your reticle. Um, before you actually do that, you need to make sure that your reticle, your rifle scope is in fact zeroed. Okay. So I say that because we're going to do what's called a parallel zero okay. uh, with the impact versus the reticle. And what that means is that let's say that you have a, a 100 yard zero with your rifle. Okay. At 100 yards, your offset between the reticle and the uh, center of the the range-finding unit needs to have that same offset. Okay. So just for example, let's say that we measure from the center of our rifle scope tube to the center of the range-finding unit, and we find that it's two and a half inches. Okay. Right. Actually, we're going to use very simple terminology. I'm going to give a gross example and say it's 3.6 inches above the center of the tube. Right? Okay. So at 100 yards, you're going to – the center of your uh, emitter should be 3.6 inches above the center of your reticle. Okay. But why that's important, though, is so that we can have a constant aiming point with our rifle scope. Right. If we had the uh, a uh, intersecting zero, like you would when you're actually zeroing the rifle scope to your point of impact, mm -hmm. your point of aim would essentially have to be changed as you change the range, which is why we either dial or hold over. Correct. Right. So if we have a parallel zero, let's say we have that 3.6 inch offset at 100 yards, mm -hmm. and we go out to 1,000 yards, that offset's still going to be 3.6 inches. Right. That's beneficial, though, because from an angular standpoint, that offset's actually becoming smaller. So it's uh, one mil off at 100 yards. Well, at um, at 1,000 yards, it's only a tenth off. Okay. So your your point of aim is becoming more refined with, okay. uh, with the range-finding unit. Okay. I'm real familiar with a parallel zero and it's uh it, it mm -hmm. actually it goes back a long long way in history. I mean whenever I mean you you can go and you can we call it a par parallel bore zero on the precision rifle here for a uh, high angle fire and um well essentially what it looks like is you know you're getting your you're getting your mechanical offset center of bore to center of your rifle scope. And so that's what and rather than having a dope card that says 100 with a zero next to it, it's 100 and a number. And so you actually have to dial up for your 100. And so 
it, it we, we've talked about it in, in different classes over the years that I've done. <clears throat> and it's, um, it's like there's no one does that now. I mean, everybody zeroes at 100. But you can run a parallel bore zero, and it's it's really no different. It's just you have to dial out you have to dial out that offset to get to a hundred. Where it becomes really, really, mm -hmm. where it becomes really, really important is whenever you start adding in uh, the cosine of the angle that you're shooting at. And so it's um, it, when not necessarily for anything other than a ninety degree straight down shot. If you have that. And you, it doesn't matter the range. I mean, you put your 100-yard zero on or you put your parallel zero on, your zero, zero on, and then it becomes a mechanical offset thing. So if you're shooting straight down, you know, if, if I just had it on my 100-yard zero, I'm going to hit, you know, way out in the distance. You know, the, the further we get away, you know, from looking straight down. But with the parallel bore, it's like the bullet follows straight you know, just, just underneath the reticle, the same amount that it would in the barrel. So that's – it's. I'm mm -hmm. real familiar with that. And then also the – there was a night vision system um, a long time ago. They're not really used too much anymore, but it was the the Simrad, and that thing mounted above the scope. And your your offset there was like three point seven inches, and so you, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it was it was a, it was a crazy unit, very clear for for its day. I mean, it was it was definitely one of the top ones, but no one uses them anymore because they're kind of big and bulky, and they have a lot of inline units that that people are using nowadays. But I'm getting that. I, I understand. So you have. We're going to go and we're going to do this. And y'all provide a target in the kit that shows exactly where the crosshairs need to go and then exactly where the visible laser needs to go. And you can turn this visible laser on and off, but it's just it's co-located with the ranging laser, correct? Right. Okay. Yeah. So we have a visible laser on board. Uh, and I think one of the biggest concerns people have with us having a visible laser on board is legalities with hunting. Right. And this of course is not any type of legal suggestion but one of the things that we did include to help out with that at least you know from the standpoint of if you wanted to leave it to the discretion of the game warden that finds you um there it can actually be mechanically disabled from the outside so even if you go into the system and turn on the settings so that the visible laser comes on mm -hmm. you can have it mechanically disabled so it doesn't right so it's a pretty kind of a cool feature and it's one of the things that we you know one of those things that didn't exist right away right it right it wasn't an initial thought and then we were like eh, we should probably put that in there and you know that's more or less just to, to help out in some states some states don't care but yeah. there is a, a visible laser for zeroing purposes that I, I just thought that was i thought that was brilliant I, i've seen other units that don't have that and you know that this is just something mm -hmm. that is is very very cool i liked it a lot and so this um we have our target and so we go and we we, we first off because we we probably change that top scope ring. We zero our gun. We make sure that that's all good to go. Then we go mm -hmm. in and we we have a target and it shows exactly where we move uh, windage and elevation on the impact four thousand to where it is on the target in relation to your reticle that exists already. And then boom, we're good to go. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And the target that we provide in the box actually has little uh, pasties that are reflective tape mm -hmm. that you can place on this gridded target that represents your offset so that you put the center of the reticle on the center of the target mm -hmm. and if your emitter shines on the uh on the reflective tape then you know that you have a proper parallel zero perfect perfect okay good good all right so now we have that and then it's mounted on our gun and we have it zeroed so essentially what this means is if i'm out and and i'm shooting at the area between uh, 400 and 600 yards, and then I'm getting ready to I'm getting ready to shoot at a target that's beyond 800. In order for me to get that, what I need to do is dial my scope back down to its original 100 yard zero, take the range, then redial back up to 800 plus. Correct? Yes. If if you're if you're dialing your elevation to mm -hmm. correct for range, you yep. do need to come back to zero in order to re-range accurately. Very good. Or you can just use all holdovers with it and then right. not have to worry about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I like people turning knobs to it and gives them better at weapons manipulation. So, <laughs> oh, I, I totally agree. Yeah, I like that. So, yeah, okay. So it it can only range when it's at its hundred yard. And then I'm noticing that y'all are saying its maximum highly reflective range is four thousand yards. That's correct. Okay, and then uh, deer, animals like that, uh, fifteen hundred is what is what is coming out of Vortex right now. So I'm pr I'm sure y'all are performing a little bit better than that. You just wanted to overpromise or uh, underpromise and overdeliver. That is usually the goal. Yes. Yeah. So okay. 
the way I always look at any type of range finding unit is if you have a maximum reflective range, which that's how we name all of our products that have range finders on board is the, the maximum reflective range. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're never very, at least very rarely, uh, ranging extremely reflective targets. Like I don't have stop signs sitting on the back 40. Mm-hmm. However, um, if I wanted to range something, I always say, well, if I have a 4,000 yard range finder, um, use half that distance is usually a good rule of thumb mm-hmm. you know, trees and rocks and stuff like that. Just a little bit over half stuff like a deer or a bear. You're, you know, you're in that uh, just a little bit under half. Right. Very cool. Well, that seems like it would work pretty good. All right. So there's there, it, it, this is the, this is the little box on top of your rifle that just keeps on giving. Um, let's talk about yeah. the atmospheric <laughs> sensors that are included. Yes. So we have onboard atmospheric sensors for pressure, for humidity, and for temperature. Okay. And which gives and us a really are, nice number for our density altitude. Yep, that's correct. And one of the things that I love about this, because I, I have had to use it, and it's it, like anything that has a electronic sensor for telling temperature. If you leave it out in the sun, mm-hmm. it gets hotter than it should be. Right. Um, and that's just a matter of ambient temperature versus putting something in front of a hot light source. Mm-hmm. So um, we, you have the ability to go in and manually update the temperature on the unit itself. So down at the Precision Rifle Expo this year, it was pretty warm out, and it was—I mean—it was nice being down there from going from Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And we had one rifle sitting in the shade on a shooting bench, and the other one in the sun on a tripod. And we had a couple of customers come up and one guy was missing shooting off the tripod. I was thinking, okay, well, it's probably because we're shooting off a tripod. And then I shot and then I realized I was missing too. And I said, well, what's going on here? And then I went and checked the atmospheric sensors and it said it was 130 degrees Fahrenheit. Aha. Uh, (laughs) It wasn't 130 degrees Fahrenheit. Right. Um, So dial that back down to 95 degrees and we were good to go. But the nice thing is, is that you can manually override when you want to, which is something that a lot of, a lot of systems don't have the capability to do. Oh, okay. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come up with a product for Vortex to sell, and it's gonna be a a little like a cocktail umbrella that will go over it, hook to the M lock to the side. <laughs> I was hoping you would say an umbrella. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which ought to work pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. That would be awesome. It would be awesome. You got the little umbrella there. You get ready for a cocktail after shooting. <laughs> you pull it off, stick it in your drink. You feel like you're at the pro- tropics or something. So yeah, very nice. Yeah, but, man, like, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Well, you uh, y'all also you're integrated with Geo Ballistics. And so now we can, yes, how does this work? I go up, let's say I've got this thing, I've, I've got it calibrated, I've got it mounted, I've got it zeroed, and I'll go out there and I hop up on the tower and I look at one of my UKD targets and I, oh, and also you can remote control this thing too. I don't have to punch a button on top of the unit. You can mount a ro- remote control in a more uh, convenient location. We'll, I guess we'll talk about that in a minute. But Yep. The, yeah. So what, how is this, how is this integrated? I know we, there's bullet libraries in there. I know that it, it will Bluetooth over to the ballistic, uh, geo ballistics app. And so mm-hmm. what's the communication going on here? And I, and I know that I, I use a little, you know, teardrop weather thing. And then if I forgot that, I'll just, you know, get the weather from the closest, you know, uh, military air station, you know, so I can get my temperature bear, get my density altitude essentially. And so this, this communicates mm-hmm. through the app and it'll do it on its own. You input your wind manly, manually, if you want. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So one of the things that was a big, a big part for, I mean, especially a lot of us at Vortex, you know, we, we'd rather have tools that are standalone units. I never want to rely on device A so that I can use device B. Right. So, although, well, for, for one, the use of Geoballistics, the, the app is so user-friendly. Mm-hmm. So when I'm creating uh, profiles and stuff, I actually like to use Geoballistics, but the nice thing is you don't have to. All right. So, if I went out into the field and I was setting up a rifle for somebody and we had a chronograph sitting there and I knew the uh, ballistic coefficient for the bullet, I can create a profile on the device without any other information. I can just go ahead and run that in there. It does come with 10 profiles. They're kind of generic profiles, but they're generic profiles based on uh, very common cartridges and very common loadings. Mm-hmm. So if you had, 
the average Joe throws it on his hunting rifle. He goes to the 300 win mag out to 400 yards. He's probably going to hit the target he wants to. Now, yeah, yeah. I would always recommend getting more accurate data whenever possible. Right. But the 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 really common stuff we already have on the device, so that's pretty handy. Okay. Uh, and it, it will store up to ten different. 10 different profiles, which you can, you can go in and manually change the profiles that are on there. Um, but the cool thing is, is that if you do use geo ballistics, you can Bluetooth it to the geo ballistics app, mm-hmm. create as many profiles as you really want. Right. And then push over the 10 that you want on the unit. Right. Well, I, I, I've always been a huge, huge fan of geo ballistics. And, and I just, mm-hmm. I, I, we even, we even have a, a banner up here in our team room for those guys. And, and, and what I liked about it was because you said it right off the bat, it's so intuitive and user-friendly. It's easy to use. Yeah. And the, you know, you can go in and you can do as many range cards as you want. You know, you can save as many locations as you want from shooter position to target position. You know, you just tap it and it gives you, it gives you your firing solution right there, you know, and it, it, I mean, including everything, wind, all of it. But one of the things that Joe did that really surprised, see, he did this and he didn't tell me. And that kind of, I was, I was pleasantly surprised, but I was up in, I was up in Colorado and he didn't tell me that he did this, but you know how you can go and you, it'll, it will work with Google earth, you know? And so I knew where I was, I dropped myself there. And just based on the map that I was getting on my phone, I knew where there was a target. So I tapped and I put that target there. Well, the thing about it is Mm -hmm. that target couldn't be shot from where I was. And it showed up, it showed a line to the target, gave me the distance to the target, gave me the dope to the target, but there was a red line. So I wasn't going to be able to see it because there was another terrain feature there. And so I thought, huh, wow, I didn't know he did that. And it was just cool. I mean, it's it's got elevations in it and everything else. So when we go up there, you know, I can, I can sit there or, you know, pretty much any place I go, you know, I can go and I can I can build all of this stuff inside the app. And then if that's going to be transferred right over into the Impact 4000, that my life just got a shit ton easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to add on to that map feature, I think a, a lot of hunters in particular are going to really like this is that if you are hunting, right, and mm-hmm. you shoot your game and you see where it goes and lays down and dies, but you have some wild terrain around you and it's right. really hard to navigate from point A to point B. Right. All you need to do is mark where you're currently located on the map mm-hmm. and then range where that animal is laying down mm-hmm. and store that information as a pin. It'll automatically drop a pin on the map for you. Yeah. And you just save the pin and walk to the pin and, and there's your animal. Right. It's Perfect. Fan- fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I've, I've been on some of those to where I made a, a 420 yard shot, but it was about 1600 yards to get to it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. By the time I'd yeah, you know, not yeah, fall, exactly. not falling off the side of a mountain and all that other crap, and I thought, oh man, this is this is going to be easy, and it's going to be an easy recovery. All right, well, yeah, about three o'clock in the morning, whenever we're <laughs> headed out with our with our <laughs> yeah. animal, and we, we we shot it at ten a.m. that morning, and so yeah, it works out okay. So that's good, that's good. Well, um, so it, it's going to I can manually input the wind, or I can let geo ballistics put it in. And whenever I tap on that range, what whenever I tap on the on the remote for it to give me a range, is there a way for it just to give me the range? Or it's and I, I already know the answer to this question, but it'll also give me a corrected range for angle, and or is it going to give me the firing solution? How does what what information is it going to throw back at me so I know what to dial on that knob? Still there. Did I lose you? Stand by. Let me call him. Oh, back. there you go. Okay, what happened? Can there? you hear me? Oh, I got you now. Uh, my phone. My phone is somehow muted. Anyways. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. I'm gonna leave that uh, in there. I, I rarely edit these things, so I'm I'm not gonna edit it. We'll, we'll just leave it there. <laughs> yeah. So there are three different um, functions as far as that goes on the unit. So you have you have the line of sight mode. Mm-hmm. Um, which is going to populate in the standard ballistics mode as well. Okay. Uh, but you have horizontal component distance, which is only your line of sight multiplying it by the cosine of your angle of fire. Okay. Um, the the line of sight mode is built into the ballistics mode, so it's populating that uh, angle of fire with your with your line of sight distance. Okay. So that what I'm saying is. 
whenever, uh, uh, let's say I'm out there and I, I range something and it's uh, 420 yards, but it's got a 18 degree angle on it. The, the firing solution it's mm-hmm. going to give me is going to be with uh, for the corrected range, for the corrected cosine range. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's and, correct. Yeah. And I don't even have to think about that. It's just going to do it. It's just doing it. Okay. Yep. All Perfect. done. Perfect. Perfect. That's going to come yeah. in handy. Very good. Very yes, good. Well, anything else that we need to that we need to touch on on this particular unit that you know any other? Well, we didn't talk about the remote. Let's talk about the remote. Yeah, the remote, and I really want to talk about the wind bearing capture. I think that's going to be a pretty interesting. Thing. Okay, cool. Yeah. So the the remote is a it's a very simple Bluetooth remote. The um, the buttons, the layout are meant to mimic the the buttons on the top of the unit. Okay. So you have up, down, left, right, and then a fire button. Right. Okay. okay. So a couple of things about the remote, depending on where you put it on your rifle, you might find that the up arrow is pointing forward or back. However you have it. Mm-hmm. Cool thing is, is that you can reprogram the remote just by holding down the arrow that you want to be up and the, and the fire button. And then it'll reprogram that that's the new up. Okay. So, However, I have that oriented on the gun. I can change what up is. Okay, so that's pretty handy. It's really good for falling through, like going through range cards and things like that. Mm-hmm. The fire button, um, whether you press it on the remote or on top of the unit itself, if you double tap it, it'll go into scan. So rather than just holding down or having a single pulse and then getting your range, it'll continue pulsing and it'll continue listing out ranges and your um, your firing solution. Okay, so. If you have a very difficult target to range, this is where I typically utilize it the most. If I have a very difficult target to range, I'll double tap it, put it into scan mode, and I'll hold on that target, and I'll watch the ranges populate. And you'll see the range that makes sense with the data, and you'll turn off scan. Yeah. So it's really good for getting hard-to-scan targets. Right. And what and he means by hard to scan, guys, just just what he means by hard to scan is you have you have a target with no significant feature around it. And so you, if you're not hitting directly on that plate, like it might read, we hit directly on it, it reads 480, and you move just a little bit, and it's even 523. And so you don't know which is mm-hmm. which. So you just scan it around there and find out that one number that keeps coming back. Is that I'm 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 putting words in your mouth? No, you're you're 100 correct, and that's exactly how I utilize it. Mm-hmm. The the other way I like to use it is for stuff like unknown distance match, uh, where I am, I, I'll put it in the scan. And if I need to engage targets extremely rapidly, you know, I'll just start using holdovers and I'll just find the target, lays the target just by holding on it. Mm-hmm. I'll wait for the data to populate, hold over and shoot, move the next target, hold over, shoot, and just mm-hmm. continue moving through. So and you can clean a course of fire a heck of a lot faster doing it that way, in my opinion. I really like that. That and a prairie dog town. Oh my yes! Oh my yes! Yeah, me and uh, <laughs> me and my my shooting partner shot the gathering of snipers in mm-hmm. in Virginia at Pig River, and um, we had uh, first of all an absolute blast. But it was the first match I ever shot with this on there, mm-hmm. and I could not have been more happy with how the unit itself functioned. Oh, good, good. Let's talk about that wind capture you were mentioning. Yeah, so wind bearing capture. Um, so if you have our razor. 4000, the Razer uh, handheld laser rangefinder, mm-hmm. uh, that has a wind bearing capture feature on it as well. In in that feature, what you do is you orient your body into oncoming wind and you hit wind bearing capture and it saves that azimuth in right. your um, degrees, your, your magnetic compass degree. Mm-hmm. And then it holds on to that azimuth. So as I turn and start ranging targets at different different positions in the field, it continues to remember that exact wind bearing. Mm-hmm. So when it gives you wind data, it's giving you on an exact wind angle rather than a three o'clock or a nine o'clock or a 10 o'clock. It's a little bit right. more precise, right. so, but it stores that until I re ping the wind direction again. Okay. Obviously with the impact, you don't really want to orient the rifle in the direction of the wind because sometimes your buddy might be between you and the direction of the wind, right? right. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> the way we fixed that or the way that we got over that hurdle was to have a screen on there that actually showed a clock face where you would dial the direction of the wind on the clock face based on your current orientation, but mm-hmm. it's saving the azimuth based on your orientation and the clock face. So it's saving that information. And then as I pan, changing where my rifle's pointed, 
it's keeping that information so that as I range targets, it continues to read out that new wind data based on that information. Wow. That's amazing. That's really cool. Man, I can't wait for mine to come it's in. It's really handy. Can you put yeah, a speed, I would imagine you speed this that, up? I, <laughs> actually, funny enough, I did today. Did so you? I, uh, well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I think I was able to get you an, a unit allocated today. So <laughs> well, it's, they a, have it's been, about time, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> they are, honestly, when, when we announced it, they were four months back ordered immediately. Oh, I know. I know. And I, I was just, I was going out to dealers. Yep. I was delighted whenever I talked yeah. to you that day and you said, oh yeah, they're on backward. I said, yeah, hell yes. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> and I knew I had to have yeah. one because they're going to start showing up here at rifles only. And I need to know everything they used to know about that thing. So <laughs> yeah, I'm looking I forward. I think you're really going to like it. Uh, me too. Me too. Me too. Okay. So, um, I, I, that's, that's what I wanted to talk to you about, man. I want to, and I, I, I really appreciate you went through it and you know, we, we have those features also guys, you can go to, um, the vortex website and there, if you go on there, it'll have the, the impact 4,000. There's some videos there. There's some videos on YouTube. Um, we're talking about some of the same things that we talked about now. Um, that calibration, there's a video on there that shows exactly somebody doing the calibration on that on that unit whenever they first get it which you know really interests me but there while you're there look out the other stuff I, again i found bubble levels on that website i found clothing i found binoculars i found range finders i found every kind of scope for every budget that anyone could possibly imagine there at vortex optics man and again nick thanks for uh, thanks to vortex you know for sponsoring us you know through the years and and thanks to you for spending the time here with me today to to go over this impact 4000 yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Very good. Well, I'm going to close this out. Nick, stay on. I'll let you know when, when we're free to talk and, and cuss because I try not to cuss on my on my podcast. So I'm, let me close this out <laughs> real quick. Sounds good. Thanks again, guys. Remember, you have any questions for Nick? I got his phone number. I got a cell number so I can call him at 2.30 in the morning. So if you have a question, send it to ROAP at RiflesOnly.com. ROAP at RiflesOnly.com. This is Jacob. Thanks for listening to me flat my bill. Appreciate you guys.